It's Yana Bud. I've been working with young people and adults for more than 40 years, helping them to live their best life. Now on this podcast, I do it for you too. That's why we call it At Your Best, so I can help you become your best self each week. So let's explore stories from all across Canada and celebrate how strong we really are, even when we feel at our weakest. On this episode, we celebrate a major victory for a friend of the show, an anti-gun violence advocate, as well as discuss why something as simple as pay it forward can help heal the world. We will also be looking into the mental health of those in prison and also touch on the disturbing rise in trans and homophobic hate with an inclusion expert. So sit back, relax, and get ready to listen to ways we can help make you be at your best. We're talking about connecting with the world. That's really that this is all about tonight. And we're talking about a way to make the world a better place uh, to live. And I think that's really what this is all about here. It's it's about trying to get past some of the difficulties we have uh, out there and um, trying to make sure that we're part of, uh, you know, part of making the world a better place, right? So it's not just about throwing your stuff in the garbage and making sure you separate your, you know, your cans from your jars and bottles and all that stuff. It's It's very much a part of, I think, more about how we treat one another and how we see ourselves uh, in the world. And, um, you know, I was talking to somebody who I'm pretty close with uh, last week and I called him up and I said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm having some difficulty kind of understanding uh, where we are in the world here and uh, trying to figure out if, in fact, um, the way we behave with one another is having an effect on things like, you know, smoke in the air, you know, for, for, you know fire, fire. Uh, forest fires everywhere, uh, tidal waves, all kinds of things happening in the oceans and in, in, the, in you know, in, in ecology and in nature. And just that the world just seems to be falling apart just a little bit. I don't know. Am I the only one that thinks so? 877-399-9898. Let me know what you think. Um, if you think that the way we treat one another can have an impact on how this world uh, get, you know, moves forward, uh, I'd love to hear from you. It's certainly what I'm thinking. So I was talking to this fellow who I, I have a lot of respect for and I learn with. And, um, you know, we were talking about, you know, the world in general and what we can do to be better. What can we do to be better? You know, maybe tr- talking to each other nicely, more, you know, making it, you know, a little easier for people to to get along, you know, not being so judgmental, not being so harsh on one another. Uh, you know, making sure that we have a, a a chance to share with each other and and not be so aggressive, right? So he described for me, like, if, you know, the world, I said, listen, I, I want to go out and talk about this on Saturday night and, and share with my with my uh, my pals uh, what, you know, what, what's going on in, in my head. So he starts talking to me about things like, hey, listen, you know, you should approach it like this, you know, a small butterfly, you have a little tiny butterfly and the butterfly, you know, waves its wings, moves its wings, and it, it creates a little bit of a wind. And that wind creates a little bit bigger wind. And that wind creates a little bit bigger wind and so on. And that wind then blows a little bit of a wave. And that wave blows a bigger wave and so on and so on. You forget my drift, right? So little tiny things that we do, things that you don't count on as being, you know, all that important, right? Things that we don't think about as being all that important. They are, in fact, and they make a big difference in how we perceive the world and how the world perceives us. So recognizing that how we behave has an impact on how we live. And perhaps how we behave also has an impact on how we see the world, how we treat nature. Because if we're disrespectful to each other, maybe we're disrespectful towards nature at the same time. 
So we talked about this. We talked about ways to present it. And he said, you know, present it as a positive. I love this guy, needless to say, right? He said, present it as a positive. You know, talk about things that people can do to make the world a better place. You know, by being a little kinder, by maybe doing something nice for somebody that you wouldn't have done maybe yesterday. You know, by calling up someone in your life and saying something nice, by reconnecting with people that are important to you that you haven't had contact with, by being able to help, you know, a stranger across the street, so to speak. Someone doesn't have enough change at at uh, at the at, at their at their coffee run, and they're short ten or fifteen cents. Deep into your pocket, give the person ten or fifteen cents and say, "Hey, here you go. Make your day a little bit easier." Paying it forward is what we're talking about here, my friends. Paying it forward. Very important to recognize that the more we are nice to one another, the better the world's going to be. And if the relationship with nature that we have currently is any you know indication of the relationship we have with each other i think we have to look at it really seriously i think we have to learn to understand what we can do to be better what we can do to be better people that's what's important think about it right think about it for just a minute what can we do to be better people what can you do to be a better person what can you do tomorrow what can you do tonight that's just a little bit different, a little bit out there for you, you know, reaching out to someone and say, Hey, you know, how are you doing? You know, how, how have you managed with this air quality issue? I mean, this kind of, it's kind of what brought me to this whole conversation. I know I'm rambling a little bit, right. But really where I'm coming from, my friends is trying to understand, you know, what we're doing wrong, right. I guess is the way I'm looking at it. What are we doing wrong? What could we be doing better as a society? What could we be doing better as people? to make the world a better place, not just in terms of, you know, the air quality and, and, you know, all the ecological changes, but, you know, by being better and nicer with one another, I got to believe it's going to make a difference on the world in general and how we perceive it and how, how we act. And I think if, if you're, if everyone was out there being nice to one another and we were, and we weren't so, you know, we weren't so uh, rough around the edges when it comes to things like, you know, sexuality and uh, sexual orientation in our schools and celebrating things and, 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 and political battles between one, you know, one side versus the other and countries at war with one another over things like pieces of land and, 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 and energy and so on. We're, we're destroying the planet, I think, because we're not treating each other nicely. So I think what we should be doing is treating each other better, treating the world better, treating everything that we do a little bit better, a little bit nicer, a little warmer, a little more gracious, a little more inviting. I know you're shaking your head at me going, what the heck is he talking about? You know, my friend, what I'm talking about is if we're nicer to one another, I think the world just becomes a better place. And certainly if it doesn't become a better place with us all living in harmony, it will just seem like a better place. It may not change the quality of the air, or maybe it will. Maybe if we respect one another more, we'll respect the world a little bit better by doing nice things. All we got to do is do a few nice things for somebody. Make a difference in someone's life. It'll make a difference in your life. Doing something kind makes you feel kinder. Doing something charitable for someone makes you feel like you're giving back. Giving of your time, not just your money, to someone, to an organization, 
could have a huge impact on how they do, especially when it's involving children, right? Anything involving kids. So think about it while you're separating your garbage and you're putting cans in one place and bottles in another and bag stuff in another and walking away from the grocery store with a with a, a, a paper sack of some sort or, or some kind of reusable bag because we're not using plastic anymore. That's all great. And I'm all for it. And I got a whole list of stuff we could be doing as, a, as human beings to make the world a better place in terms of its ecology, in terms of its nature. But it's got to start with how we treat each other. It's got to start with how we treat ourselves. And that leads to goodness. And the goodness leads to a better place. And that better place is the world that we live in. And I want to be in it with you for an awfully long time. I'm uh, talking right now about a proclamation requesting that the people of Canada observe the first Friday in June of every year as a national day against gun violence. And I have a guest of mine. He's going to be here within just a second. We're going to talk about this proclamation. It's pretty cool um, how this came about. And over the years, I've had a chance to be um, to listen in from the outside and watch from the from the corners of the room, so to speak, as uh, the zero gun violence movement led by my good friend Louis March, who's my guest. He'll be here with us in just a sec. Um, the work that they've done. So, uh, whereas the proclamation reads, whereas Canadians are concerned about gun violence and have a desire to ensure that their communities are safe, whereas gun violence has a devastating impact both physically and psychologically on victims, families, and communities in Canada, whereas Canadians are looking to the government of Canada to tackle the issue of gun violence and its impacts on victims, families, and communities by further addressing those impacts and the underlying causes of gun violence, whereas it is important to increase awareness of firearm-related laws and regulations and the causes and risks that lead to gun violence, whereas... This important work requires continued collaboration with victims, family, community members, and governments in order to take a stand against gun violence. And whereas, by order of counsel, um, PC 2023-436 of May 12, 2023, the governor in court directed the proclamation due issue requesting that the people of uh, Canada observed the first Friday in June of every year as National Day Against Gun Violence. Louis March the founder and lead of Zero Gun Violence, my brother, my friend. Louis, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Yona. Thank you very much for having me back again. It's a pleasure. I'll leave it to you to put together a national uh, proclamation so you can get on my national <laughs> show. Um, we, you know, it's kind of an inside joke. Louis and I have worked together on air um, along with Marcel Wilson and a few of the other uh, real, um, real good people out there, the people at their best, working on gun violence and youth and crime and all that stuff. And Louis and I did a lot of uh, local TV here, uh, local radio, excuse me, here in Toronto, and uh, had a little bit of a break because I, you know, was fortunate to become a syndicated show and uh, kind of left Louis behind a little bit. But leave it to you to catch up, brother. Congratulations on making this what you've been working so hard. Uh, to become, and that is a national story, and not only a national story, but now everyone in Canada on the first Friday of June is going to be talking about uh, gun violence and working against gun violence. You did it, my friend. How do you feel? You know what? It's 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 one one part of the work that needs to be done, and uh, to be able to have that national platform, that national proclamation, uh, gives us more opportunities to speak about it. Because gun violence, even though we've worked you know, mainly in Toronto, 
no matter which part of the country, gun violence is an issue. And everybody's been working on it within their communities, within their cities. But if we have a national platform, a national opportunity, a national voice, it gives us more, uh, more places where we can tackle this problem. So, so it's a success in many ways. And it's also a reflection, Yona, of the Toronto Raptors taking the lead on this. Like never in my wildest imagination would I think the Toronto Raptors would jump on board to the extent that they have. They have a, an opportunity to, to meet with the Prime Minister more than we will ever have, right? So, uh, yeah, it, it really demonstrates this partnership, this collaboration, and I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. Oh boy, you should feel really good, you guys, and uh, all the hard work you've done makes you know all the difference in the world here, right? Um, so let me ask you something: How did it bring this about? How did you, how did you make all this happen? I know you're a hardworking guy, but you kind of keep a lot of stuff close to the chest. Um, how did you make this happen? How did how did this come about? How did you connect with the Raptors? Give us a little bit of the backstory. So, uh, you know, we have to give the Raptors tremendous credit because. We met with them at uh, one of our rallies or demonstrations or walks on Young Street for against gun violence. Mothers who had been impacted, families who had been impacted. We walked on Young Street and they joined us and they spoke to us about they are trying to drive this to the point where we can get a national day for gun violence awareness similar to what they have in the United States. And we said, okay, this will be good. What can we do to help? Next thing you know, we get a call from, uh, from the Raptors saying that they're going to have a meeting in Rexdale, a roundtable discussion with gun violence, and Justin Trudeau and Masai Jerry will be there. And I'm saying, okay, this is moving in the right direction. <laughs> so say. there were several community organizations that showed up at that round table in Rexdale. And the two of them were at the head of the table and they, they made a commitment to work on it. And uh, little did we know uh, that it would end up here because we had our doubts at the beginning because we've really worked on gun violence city by city, right? Right, yeah. And we've never had that comprehensive national strategy beside what they talk about, the border controls, and so on and so on. So, yeah, so uh, I give credit to the Toronto Raptors for, for pushing it through uh, and for Justin Trudeau and the feds to agree to make that announcement. So what's the intention behind the proclamation? Give me an idea uh, from a grassroots level uh, what, what we're going to, what, what, I hope to be a part of it with you. What are we going to do? What's, what's this going to, what are we going to do every, every, uh, uh, once once a year in June. What's 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 the plan? How are we going to make a difference? Well, we're going to continue to do our work, which is 365 days out of the year. Right. However, we have this one day where we can encourage different communities, different organizations, people to stand up and say something against gun violence or contribute to solving the problem. This is a day where we can just focus highlight gun violence, the, the, the implication, the impacts of it, and what can we do? And for me, 
Yona, the most important thing here is because we have this national platform and uh, we've seen the Toronto Raptors, corporate Toronto coming forward. What we're hoping is that it will encourage other corporations, major corporations in Canada that have a national audience to get on board too. This shouldn't be like a, a Toronto Raptors only. This should be other corporations saying, what can we do to help? So this national proclamation gives them an opportunity. And one other thing that's completely missing is we don't have the faith communities involved in the site. So next year and building up to it, we will be encouraging organizations, communities, government to do something different, to add more value to the discussion about gun violence awareness. And I think that we're starting to plant the seeds for a collaboration, a partnership that can truly make a difference, not only in Toronto, but across the country. Have a listen here. We're talking about the proclamation um, requesting that people of Canada observe the first Friday in June of every year as National Day Against Gun Violence. Hear what Toronto Raptor President Masai Ujiri had to say about it. It's, it's, it's really incredible that all these people, all these community leaders now have now come together um, to affect or maybe um, uh, to really um, work with government uh, to get this incredible, a very incredible day. Well, there you go. I'm joined by my good friend, Louis March. He is the founder of Zero Gun Violence Movement. Louis, welcome back. Uh, pretty cool to hear him talk about uh, the kind of work you've been doing forever. And um, anybody else show any interest in the other sporting teams? Because it would be clear to me that uh, when you get the sporting groups on side, um, you know, teams like the Raptors and so on, gets a lot of people's attention that normally wouldn't be paying attention. You know, you hit the nail right on the head. The corporations have normally gravitated towards other issues, social justice issues, uh, issues such as cancer. Like, they're all good issues, right? But when it comes to gun violence, they've always shied away from it. And I'm hoping that with the Toronto Raptors jumping on board and taking a leadership role, that other corporations now, businesses, will look at it differently. Imagine, this is a national platform, Edmonton, Halifax, Vancouver, Ottawa, Toronto, Windsor, you could go on, right? Yeah. We've yeah. never really had this opportunity to have that national platform. The other corporations, I'm hoping that they will respond and realize that there's a seat at the table also for them, right? And as I said, this is a national platform. Let's see who's going to take advantage of it because the media will be on it. The government will be on it. We as community leaders will be on it. There's space for other people to get involved and partner, collaborate, and make effective change. We can do this. Well, that's, I guess, where I'm coming from next, Louis, is where, where's all this going to take us in terms of actual change, actual, like, it's nice to have, I think it's brilliant that you've got a day, we've got a day, a kind of a sign where, you know, it's, it's a program we can 
you know, drive activities and so on towards this specific day. It's a day when the, all of the country is looking at at this kind of uh, of this kind of uh, uh, behavioral situation within society that we need to change. What what are we going to do? What are you going to do with it? What are you and the other other stakeholders going to do with it? Um, an opportunity, I hope, I guess, to raise some money. But where does it all go? Like, how do we turn this into less guns, less guns, less violence? I think it's important to recognize that gun violence does not happen in a vacuum. It doesn't happen by itself. There's a pathway to it. There's circumstances that happen that take you to getting involved in gun violence. And it's not only the gun violence. There's domestic violence, right? There's mm-hmm. suicide. Mm-hmm. There's drug violence. A lot of people that feel left out with limited opportunities, li- limited access points, limited education, they gravitate to other ways to hustle and to survive. So with this national day, we can look at this broader picture, right? We can look at who else can come to the table. So it's up to us now to lead by example, to build on this opportunity that is, that is now available to us and encourage people to look at what other programs can we provide for young people to give them positive alternatives than joining gangs or selling drugs. What other programming can we do to help people with mental health problems that don't see any way out, right? What about funding? Like we can't depend on the government to fund everything that we're going to do. Imagine if corporations came on board and said, we can also do this. And we see the positive value, not only for the corporation, for the business, but also for society. But Louis, Louis, the government uh, proclaimed or signed or suggested or budgeted um, millions of dollars. You and I talked about this um, one of our last local shows <clears throat> about the three hundred some odd million dollars that the government, the federal government, provincial government, everyone was putting together to stop gun violence and youth gun violence and youth gang activity and so on. Um, with people like the Raptors behind this group now and all the other stakeholders, are, are you trying to? You know, are you doing anything to call to task the government in terms of what are they doing with this money so it gets into the hands of people uh, like One by One Movement, like Zero Gun Violence Movement, and all the other great community activities and, and, and organizations? What are we doing to get that money out of their hands uh, along with this proclamation? That's another important question because you can see the federal government trying to do their part. You can see the municipal government here in Toronto with the safe TO plan, the 10-year plan. But who's missing at the table? The province, mm-hmm. right? We need to get them at the table too, right? They've got to realize that they have a seat. So when the feds release 300 and something million, most of that is gonna to go to border security and policing, right? Mm-hmm. Some money will go towards uh, investing in community. But who is responsible for investing in community? It is province and city, right? Yeah. So we've got to make that clear. We need more information, more data and research on gun violence. Because if you go to Ottawa, if you go to Vancouver, if you go to Windsor and you ask for data, (laughs) the data is never consistent in terms of how it's collected, how is it released, right? We need to be more informed. So we need more research. We need more data. And if we can have that done through a national platform, there you go. That will help inform uh, the local communities 
to make proper decisions in terms of designing programs, designing policies to deal with this. When, when gun oh. violence happened, it, 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 it's a reflection of a lot of things that we failed to do prior to it. Mm-hmm. What, what's, um, Louis, what's, what's the, uh, uh, where do we sit right now in terms of uh, uh, Canada-wide and, and provincially in terms of uh, Ontario? Um, where, where, how are we doing in terms of the reduction of gun violence? You're, you're usually pretty good at having those numbers at hand. Look, I've been sort of hesitant to speak about the recent trends because I don't want to jinx it. But mm-hmm. over the last two years, the gun violence numbers have declined significantly. Like, like the shootings themselves in Toronto are down something like 40% from this time last year. The homicides are down 60%. Wow. We've, never seen this, we've never seen these declines before. And we've been at this for, for quite a few. Well, you know how long we've been doing this because you've yeah. been with us from day one. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've been doing your piece to deal with young people that are having challenges with mental health, are requiring therapy and stuff. This all feeds into the gun violence problem. And as I said, it's not only gun violence. We've seen an increasing in numbers in terms of homicides, attempted, no, no, uh, suicides, attempted suicides, drug violence. We've seen an increase now in, in pharmacy robberies, right? But in terms of the gun violence statistics, the trending for the last two years has been significantly uh, has significantly improved based on what we saw in those earlier years when every morning you turn on the news, right, somebody else had been shot or some other incident had taken place. So we're trending in the right direction. But that's demonstrating that maybe some people have been listening because the government now is doing a lot more in terms of border security. They're doing a lot more in terms of uh, trying to bring people together. They've done the proclamation now. So these are all steps in the right direction. And we need to just keep doing this work because there's good people out there, incredible people out there doing incredible work. You've mentioned some of those organizations. There's a lot more. Like, like there's Mothers for Peace, right? Yeah. There's Men that Crack in the Sky. All of these organizations now are really realizing that collective impact is better than individual impact. And now I see more collaborate, co- collaborative effort than I've ever seen before. Talking with you here tonight about the alarming number of jailed immigration detainees uh, that have ended up with that have mental health issues and uh, problems. Um, you know, it's 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 a it's a, it's been a story ongoing for quite some time. Uh, how the um, Canadian Border Security Agency uh, uses uh, incarceration within uh, regular prison systems um, to detain people who, for whatever reason, need to be detained. Uh, but the treatment of of these individuals uh, just goes beyond. Um, I know just it's not in keeping with what we talked about in the beginning of the show. If you weren't paying attention or you weren't able to, to tie in or, or hear me uh, out of the first uh, first segment of the show here tonight, we were talking about how we need to make the world a better place by treating each other a little bit better. Yeah, I know. Come on, man. Look at me. Seriously. 
we need to treat each other a little bit better, right? So we need to do a better job. So this story is very much in keeping with this concept of dealing with detained people who really probably, for the most part, haven't broken a law, so to speak. They may not meet the necessary requirements for immigration and uh, that kind of stuff, but for the most part, they're not really criminals. Uh, Listen to what the human rights organization called Human Rights Watch. Listen to what they say about Canada. You know, they talk about us promoting immigration. And then at the same time, when people want to come to this country, we throw them in jail. Have a listen. Welcome to Canada, a land of soaring mountains, cosmopolitan cities, and maximum security jails for thousands of migrants and asylum seekers. But don't think about that. Enjoy our vast open spaces. Unless you're detained, trapped in a tiny cell simply for coming here to seek safety or a better life? Oh, Canada, where time stands still, especially if you're in immigration detention with no release date in sight? That doesn't feel very welcoming. There you go. I mean, a little tongue-in-cheek, but at the end of the day, it's a really sad state of affairs. You know, we're we're talking about, um, according to the Toronto Star, uh, they reviewed 60 cases of immigration detainees held in Ontario jails and found that more than half, more than 50%, 30 cases in this case, had reported mental health issues. The jailing of these detainees in facilities where they're subject to punishing conditions such as frequent lockdowns, solitary confinement, has human rights advocates renewing calls for Canada to stop using provincial jails for immigration detention. According to the Star, they reviewed 60 cases of immigration uh, detainees held in Ontario uh, since last summer and found that more than half have reported mental health issues, right? These detainees are treated the same way as an inmate serving a criminal sentence, but they're not locked up because they've committed a crime They're detained on an indefinite basis while the government tries to deport them. So they've come to Canada. They don't meet the requirements of being in this country. And the government decides that they're going to hold you, hold a person, until such time as they can figure out how to get them back to wherever they came from. Right? The use of provincial jails for immigration detention by Canadian Border Services Agency is under increased scrutiny because five provinces vowing to end this controversial practice in the last year. Ontario, which is home to the highest number of immigration detainees, by the way, in the country, including half of all the detainees held in jails, has said only that it's reviewing its agreement with the Canadian Border Security Agency. So according to the the STAR findings, which are extremely alarming, they find it, uh, you know, but not really surprising, as they say. According to Hannah Gross, she's a researcher with Human Rights Watch and the author of a 2021 report that found that immigration detainees with mental health conditions were more likely to be held in jails rather than less restrictive facilities. So imagine if you come to this country and you're coming from another country and you get here and it's a little awestruck, right? You're a little awestruck. It can be very overwhelming. Um, It's overwhelming for Canadians sometimes to come back into their own country uh, going through um, the necessary screening process through Canadian immigration and border security, right? Uh, They can be a little off-putting sometimes. I mean, I don't want to poke fun at them. They do their job, I'm sure. But they can be a little off-putting. They're not necessarily the most customer service, customer-friendly people on the planet. 
So imagine coming to this country with all that anxiety. Who knows how long you've traveled to get here? Who knows how, what kind of life you came from to get here? You could be, you could have come from a, a life of persecution. You could have lost family. Uh, many people seeking uh, immigration status here have come from communities and come from societies and you know places uh, in countries where uh, the treatment of someone with that you know is is homosexual, for example, or someone who's got mental health issues. In certain countries, you you could be jailed for having extreme anxiety and depression, let alone schizophrenia. Or drug addiction. So they're, they're treated the same as inmates serving criminals, criminal cases, right? Criminal sentences, which just doesn't make sense. Um, they've The CBSA, Canadian Border Security Agencies, demonstrated clearly through their practice and their policy, policies that they're incapable or unwilling to provide meaningful care for people in their custody who are experiencing a deterioration of mental health. It doesn't matter how you present, according to this report. You're going to end up incarcerated. Anyway, you're going to end up being held until they figure out what to do with you. So no treatment, no medication, no ability to kind of calm down. They're not using social workers and psychologists and therapists to kind of keep everything kind of calm, right? They're not doing that. So CBSA doesn't collect health-related data from detainees, so it could not stay, say whether the STARS analysis was true or not, right? But the CBSA, the Canadian Border Security Agency, did in fact say they're actively working to minimize its use of jails where more than 900 immigration detainees were held across the country last year. 900 people. And, and according to this report, 50% of them have issues with mental health. Several immigration lawyers interviewed by the Star, according to this report, said that the newspaper's findings align with their experiences as well. Most of my cases have addiction and mental health engaged, says Jessica uh, Tranjashiker, who is a lawyer who works exclusively on immigration detention cases. If mental health is not an issue prior to someone being detained, the experience of detention itself has a very negative and profound impact on a detainee's mental health. Jail compounds everything, 100%. I worked in the jails for 10 years in, in Ontario here, at the Ontario Correctional Facility. And uh, I can tell you that um, it's a fact that coming to jail itself is enough to cause someone to have deteriorated mental health. And, you know, uh, it makes it difficult. And coming here thinking you're coming to a place that's safe and, and, and looking to uh, safe and willing to, to accept you, um, you know, it is it's it kind of scary when you get here and they say, no, sorry, you're going to jail. we got John on uh, the phone here. We'll have a quick call with John from Winnipeg. Hey, John. Hey, great show. I just uh, mentioned about the uh, stopping gun violence and zero tolerance. It's a uh, can't you. be done. Thank you. you, you yeah, I was just going to say that you have to have, bring back the three strikes in your oath. That's the only way to do this. <laughs> I, uh, you know, yeah. the, the border, I mean, there was during the pandemic, I was going to say the, the border was closed to, to all, all the uh, different visitors, but the, the drugs were getting through. The drugs couldn't get through. The cigarettes, uh, counterfeit cigarettes for the Mohawks couldn't get through, yeah. but the drugs were getting through. So just uh, like I said, we have to, you know, the, the laws have to increase the, the prison time. That's all you can do. You can't do anything else except the consequences. I like it a lot, John. Appreciate, appreciate the call. That's my friend, John from Winnipeg. Uh, we've got to increase the border uh, control and get the guns out. He's absolutely right. But I'm talking, we're talking here about the detaining people in jail that think they're coming to Canada for uh, a good life. And in fact, 
they're finding that it's not so easy to get across the border. And then when you get here and you start to flip out a little bit, uh-oh, not good. So um, hopefully we're going to do a better job. People are going to try to be at their best. Right now we're looking at uh, CBSA uh, uh, as a as an organization not necessarily at their best, right? So, uh, yeah, kind of enough to bring you down a little bit. We're going to talk about, uh, we're in the third part of our Managing Depression uh, series. And a quick uh, recap here for what it uh, for those that may not have paid attention or been part of the show prior to tonight. So we came up with 10 tips. Number one, to connect with others, reach out and stay connected. That's one way to get through uh, and get past some uh, depressive thinking, depressive thoughts. Talk to one person about your feelings. Help someone else by volunteering. Have lunch with a buddy. Ask a loved one to check in on you regularly, or you can check in on them. Sometimes that helps you feel better by helping someone else feel better. Yeah, man, it really works when you pay it forward like that. Accompany someone to the movies. Go out, call a friend, send them an email. Go for a walk or work out or something with a buddy. Schedule a weekly dinner date with your friends, your best friends, your relatives, your mom, your dad, somebody. Get out, meet somebody new, and confide. And someone, a teacher, a sports coach, a clergy member, a therapist, someone like me, right? Um, that's what we're here for. We're here to try to help people do better. Um, then the second uh, part of our series was uh, talking about doing things that make you feel better. Spend more time in nature. You know, list what you like about yourself. Read a good book. Watch a funny movie or a TV show. Take a long, hot bath. That's great. My uh, wife does it all the time. She uh, finds it very um, invigorating and very soothing, very comforting. Depends on the time of day uh, that she takes her bath. Uh, watch a funny movie, TV show, something like that. That works really well for me. Meditation. Play with a pet. I play with my little Siggy guy all the time. He's now gone from six and a half pounds to nine pounds post-pandemic. Vet wants to know what we're feeding him. <laughs> I think he's stashing food for later. Anyway, talk to friends or family face-to-face. Listen to music and do something spontaneous and fun. So now you're up to date. If you haven't been a part of this for the last few weeks, uh, you're now up to date with things that you can do to help you deal with depression. So number three in our program, number three in our in our series is get moving, right? You got to get moving. So when you're depressed, just getting out of bed can seem like a daunting task, right? Let let alone working out or doing something more advanced like exercise. And at one, uh, it's a very important tool, though, in terms of uh, recovery, in terms of getting past some unsettled mental health. And research has shown that regular exercise can be as effective as medication. And I will swear by that for relieving depression symptoms. If it also helps, it also helps prevent relapses once you are well and uh, moving along. So get the most benefit. You have to aim for at least 30 minutes of exercise per day. So I tell my patients, my clients, you know, if you can get 20 minutes in, it's a lot. Uh, it's good. It's a start for sure. 30 minutes is ideal. Absolutely. And this doesn't have to be all at once. It's okay to start small. You can take a 10-minute walk in the morning and then do a little bit of uh, stretching and exercise in the evening, right? It doesn't necessarily have to uh, go uh, hand in hand. It doesn't have to all be the 20 minutes or 30 minutes all at one time, right? But very important. People don't understand the benefit of exercise as it relates to mental health. But for, for one thing, it gets your, your juices flowing, right? It gets the blood moving, which is very important. It's very important to to um, 
really kind of get the blood flowing, get the muscles uh, stretched, get the ligaments all doing what they need to do, get the body, the body going, but also gives the mind a chance to stretch out a little bit too, right? Very important. Uh, it gives your the mind a chance to stretch out a little bit. And, you know, just the freedom of the workout itself often helps people. Uh, sometimes the more impactful the workout, like hitting a punching bag or uh, going for a really exerted walk, like, you know, running, you know, a, show, a short run uh, or, or a long speed walk or something, the more exerted the exercise is, the more impactful it is as it relates to helping you with your mental health. So it's something you can do right now and it'll boost your mood for sure. So fatigue, your fatigue will improve if you stick with it. Starting to exercise can be difficult when you're depressed and you feel somewhat exhausted. But research shows that your energy levels will improve almost immediately, especially if you stick with it. So exercise will help you feel energized and less fatigued, not more so. So once you kind of get your head into it, it actually gives you a little bit of boost, not so much takes it away. Find exercises that are continuous and rhythmic, right? So the most uh, most benefits for depression comes from rhythmic ex exercise, such as walking, weight training, swimming, some form of martial art, arts is good if you can dedicate your time and energy to it. Dancing, you know, exercise can be just dancing. You know, put on some really cool music uh, in your living room or wherever you are and uh, just uh, start dancing around, make some moves, do some kicks and some turns and some spins and some stuff that you probably don't have the nerve to do like I do. I don't have the nerve to do it on the dance floor, but I could kick up a storm in my living room, <laughs> well, especially when there's no one watching other than Siggy, and he's looking at me kind of sideways going, hey, Dad, what are you doing? But it does. It definitely makes you feel better. So something as simple as dancing to music or doing your exercise to music in some rhythmic way, you know, stretch one way, stretch another way, kind of go with the tunes. Of course, you need the appropriate music for that type of exercise. Um, include a mindfulness element in your life. So if you're not sure what mindfulness means, staying kind of in the moment, right? Mindfulness is kind of like keeping your head in the moment, enjoying what's going on right now, right? Minute by minute, hour by hour, right? Day by day sort of, sort of thing. But if you can slow yourself down, big breath, let that breath out, right? Just slow yourself down, right? Just enjoy the moment. I don't know what you're doing right now. I don't know where you are, whether you're in BC or Ontario or Quebec or wherever you are in the country. Just take a minute with me here. Yeah, just look at, let's kick back for a second. Yeah, look at me. Just, just follow me, okay? Just kick back for just a minute. Breathe in through your nose for four, hold it for the count of four, and then blow it out one, two, three, four. Right? So that's the breathing that goes with the mindful exercise of thinking about right now, right now, right this second, think about something really good that happened to you today. One thing, one thing. And if it's nothing that you can have that comes to mind, how about just getting out of bed? Because for some people, that's not easy to do. So if you're able to get out of bed, put your feet on the ground, get to the washroom, do the things you need to do, have all the body parts function like they should, you should celebrate that. That's a mindful moment for sure. Makes a big difference when you don't take it for granted. Enjoy the benefit of being alive. You know, maybe something tasty. Maybe you had something really tasty today. I had an incredible lunch. My wife made something today that was really delicious, some kind of salad, and I really, really enjoyed it. 
Not that that's my most wonderful thing of the day, but it's something, right? Something simple is all it takes to kind of connect in that mindful kind of way. Pair up with an exercise partner, somebody who's in, you know, that you trust that kind of wants to get into this with you and, and kind of, you know, do this whole, you know, feel better routine together as a twosome. You know, take your dog for a walk. If you've got a pet, got a pet that's a great way to uh, to kind of get yourself energized and moving along. So exercise is a big part of it, feeling good, reaching out to people, connecting with one another. That's ways, these are the ways we get through depressive moments and get on the other side of it in a clean, healthy kind of way. Um, not easy for everyone to do, by the way. It's not something that everyone in the world can do, but if you're able to kind of find a little discipline, it makes a big difference when you can connect and follow some of these simple, uh, Some they are, by the way, they're very simple things to eat. Sleep well, eat well, get some exercise, changes your life. I'm telling you, man, changes mine on a daily. We can heal the world by being better with one another, caring or understanding, more giving, more sharing, more, more compassionate. We can do better, my friends. I promise you. Reading recently in the newspaper and some listening on air to some of my colleagues uh, talk about um, uh, the problems that we're having in the school boards and, 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 and within the, the educational system as it relates to uh, families and parents who don't want any discussion about LGBTQ, don't want wonderful, caring, loving human beings that dress up so beautifully in, 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 in garb, right? Men dressed up beautifully in women's clothing, drag queens in schools, reading them stories. And trust me, kids are sitting there looking at them, not thinking, oh my gosh, what sexual choices are they making and should I do the same? They're sitting there going, wow, what an awesome costume. What an incredible person coming to share with us in our school today. So why are we up in arms and why are we making such a big deal of it? Why can't we allow whoever wants to, to fly a flag, fly a flag? And why, do, why are we disallowing people who make different gender choices in their life be precluded from sharing with our children, educating our children and helping our children? Are we concerned that it's going to rub off like a virus? Because if we are. You're not very well-educated people out there, if that's what you're thinking. I have an expert with me tonight. Her name is Marnie Penis, and she is a Canadian certified inclusion professional with Marnie Panas Consulting. Uh, and um, she's going to join me here tonight to talk about the problem that educators are, are facing and kids are facing in school. I want you to hear it from a school trustee, a student trustee, a young person in the York Catholic School board here in Ontario, in Toronto. Listen to what they have to say about what's going on in the schools these days. The truth is that by having us not raise the flag, we are allowing this rhetoric, sending a message that we are still deciding our stance on supporting students and are actively supporting the violent work done by the hateful. Wow. Wow. Kids know exactly what to say to get the message across, don't they? Marnie, welcome for joining me for the show tonight. Um, really sad in some ways that we need to talk about this, but let's get the message out there anyway and see if we can work work together to make the world a little bit better place to live. Um, I'm just disappointed that we have to have this discussion about why people can't just live their lives and why can't we just support the choices and changes and alterations that people want to make and how they go forward. Um, thanks for being here. 
Hi, Jonah. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the conversation. My pleasure. So what exactly, I'm trying to figure this out, um, what exactly is a Canadian certified inclusion professional? I think I can guess, but I think hearing <laughs> it from you would be would be better. Oh, great. Thank you so much. So it is by professional designation, but I, I am a diversity inclusion professional. I work with uh, uh, quite a large or, uh, global organization uh, uh, as part of my full-time job, but I also do a lot of work to help create safe and inclusive environments for everybody to bring their whole selves to the workplace, to their community, to their schools, to, to participate fully in society, wh- whatever your background is. Okay, so um, I'm going to ask you to take another run at that and maybe teach, talk to me like I'm six. Um, what does it mean in real, in real terms? What, what impact are you having and, and, to, and with whom are you having this impact? I, I love the question, but if you were six, I wouldn't have to have this conversation with you. Six year old, get it? <laughs> yeah, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> but really, it is about looking at the barriers that people have to to uh, to bring their whole self to their workplace. For example, so it might be you know policies that are holding people back, biases that are holding people back. You know, um, people with disabilities not being able to to you know be accommodated in the workplace. So there could be a lot of different ways that people are held back from from being fully engaged in their workplace or, or in society. So I, I look at it from a very holistic view. Uh, amazing, amazing. And, and, and thanks for being so understanding with me here. I'm trying to kind of get my head around it. I got to be honest that, that the world is changing so quickly and so rapidly with so many different, you know, uh, different angles and, 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 and trying to kind of understand how, how people are making choices and how we're just not making it easy for them to understand. Uh, so I'm learning and, 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 and please understand that I, I want to learn and I want to be better and, and, and be able to talk to people about being better and helping people just be themselves. It, 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 I got to tell you though to be perfectly honest with you marty it's not something that i think of because it just makes sense to let just someone be who they want to be if my you know, i have a grandson that likes to wear two different colored running shoes to school um and people were making fun of him and their mothers called me and said you know what do i do and i said let him wear two different pairs of running shoes to school like you know why should it matter how someone dresses or how they prefer to be uh, considered or thought of as long as they're doing good things to one another and sharing with one another in a positive way why do we have to have an inclusion professional in this day and age, do you think? Because people are, you know, if I'm looking at it from the LGBTQ plus community, so that's the conversation that we're really having today. It's because, quite yeah. frankly, Yona, because people like me are being hurt, harmed, killed for who we are. And it's not about wearing two different color running shoes. It's about our very identities that uh, people have demonized to be a threat in society because... You know, they're, uh, the, the, the people that want to hold uh, society back need a demon. And, you know, back in the day, it was, it was gay men and AIDS. And, and over time, it was people of color. Today, it's trans people and non-binary people and, and children because we're easy targets. There's few of us, and, and we're, we're really easy targets. And so why do we need an inclusion professional? Because people are... are are being harmed for just existing for who they are. And it's really that serious. Why do, you, why do you think the far right is becoming so much, so much more aggressive these days? We, we thought we were making some, some headway, but clearly not. What, what, what do you think is bringing back this real negative pushback? You know, I really have to think it goes back to, you know, the elections in the United States when you have political parties and leaders, not only in the United States, but in this country and Canada as well, 
giving voice to far-right extreme views, um, legitimizing those voices, amplifying those voices. It emboldens people to, you know, people who already thought these things to actually say these things out loud and in too many cases act on them. So people have been given permission. It is safer to be transphobic and racist and homophobic than it is to be a trans person, gay or black in this country. What on earth is going on? We're having an issue here with going, things going on at schools and communities with this whole LGBTQ uh, plus um, uh, pushback from families and parents and school board chairmans and people on different committees and such. It's just a waste of energy and time and just let us be who we need to be. Listen to what the trustee with the Ottawa Carleton District School Board uh, talks about, how, how they sound so disappointed with protesters set outside their schools. Have a quick listen here. I am disappointed to see that anti-trans protesters have decided to make their grievances heard in front of schools as opposed to Queen's Park or Parliament, where protests are perhaps better suited. So my new friend, Marnie Panis, is a Canadian certified inclusion professional with Marnie Panis uh, Consulting. Uh, Marnie, like, <laughs> wow. Um, outside schools, kids are feeling horrified, not feeling safe going to school, not feeling included, not feeling loved and cared about. What the hell are we doing? Well, that's a very good question. And I think, you know, these people want to talk about this are out there to protect children. That's their whole mantra. But the fact is that they are harming children by holding them back from who they are. You know, you know, the... I myself, I'm a 50-year-old trans woman, and I'm quite confident and, and quite brave, but I've felt less safe in my city and in my country in the last number of years than I have in my entire life. In fact, you know, two months ago, I myself had to be escorted by Calgary City Police into the public library to speak at an International Women's Day event. This is what we come down to. And it's not a matter of me wanting to live this life. It's not a matter of me choosing this. This is who I am. And I and and. I, you know, I just want to exist in life and, and be the great person that I am, like all these children need to be. And, and that's the, what they don't understand is the harm they're doing in the name of protecting children. Why do you think the schools in particular are being targeted? Do you think we're, that parents and, 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 and right-wing thinkers and some church-going folks, are they afraid of, of this rubbing off on their children? Like, what do you hear from where you stand? Well, what I see is that, you know, it's, again, trans people, trans kids are easy targets because they demonize, you know, trans people, and then they attach that to children, and people want to protect children. So their whole idea is to tie that together and create this demon for people to rally around. And at the end of the day, that will, that does cost the lives of, of many, many children. And that is the sad, sad truth. Well, we're not just talking about, you know, people who are trans, you know, such as yourself, but, you know, just kids that are, you know, gay, bi, uh, trying to figure it out, not quite sure. They're, you know, trying to trying to be something here and little try try this and try that. Like, you know, what kids need time to figure out, you know, I don't want to boil this down to a clothing item, but to, to, to make it simple, you got to figure out what shoes fit before you decide what shoes you want to wear going forward, you know, and, and you know, for everyone to get comfortable in their own skin. And I just, I, I, I hear the frustration in your voice and it's just like, why are we doing this in 2023? 
Yeah, I, I don't even know if that's it. It's not like that children, I mean, many children do explore sexuality and gender and all kinds of things as they do many parts of their life. But for, for most children and youth, they know who they are very early on. Yeah. You know, you ask any child or any adult, when did they know they were straight? The, the, the answer is, well, I've always known I was straight. Well, it's the same for, for gay and, and bisexual kids as well. Uh, so it, it works all ways. You think we're seeing more blowback now since the pandemic? And if so, uh, first of all, for how long have you been at this, Marty? Uh, at what? At, at, as, at being a Canadian certified inclusion. At being okay. an inclusion. Pre- at, at being, <laughs> that's You're a whole different conversation. Tried, we have but I've been in this type of profession about 10 years. <laughs> okay. So in the, let's, let's look at the 10 years that you've been doing this you know, yeah, sure. professionally. Um, the pandemic, it brought out, it seems to have brought out more fear and hate than we've seen in years prior. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I think that certainly that was true. There was a lot of divisive rhetoric that was out there, but again, it was emboldened by, I would say, a lot of people in positions of power in, in politics and, and in some cases, uh, you know, infamous people who use their platforms to, to create division. So I think that's certainly part of it. But it really comes down to, uh, you know, in Canada, that was part of the uh, work that led to, uh, you know, human rights for uh, protection for, for um, gender identity, gender expression in Canada and Alberta's Human Rights Act you know, in 2016. And at that time, we were making some incredible headways. But w- what we've seen in history over time is that when rights are, are finally involved in, in, you know, legislation like this, the, the people in the default population, the people with privilege and power, feel that that's a threat to that power in some sort of way. And there always was blowback. You know, we saw the suffragette movement, the most violent time for women in, in this country was after the vote was given. For, for, for black people in the U.S., it was after the civil rights movement because when people finally achieve some uh, level of human rights, then the, the, the default population pushes back on that. And that's what that's very historical. We've seen that time and time again. And we're sitting so, right now as, as trans and non-binary people in that space. So what's the game plan from these uh, people on the other side of the fence? What's the game plan if they if they make a big enough noise and stop letting people wave flags and have parades and wear what they want to wear to school and have them come talk to your children and read them beautiful books and stories that it's all going to go away? Yeah, you know, uh, close, exactly close, your, close your eyes and it's not there anymore. No, actually, it's much more sinister than that. They would rather we not exist at all. And you see that in, through a lot of legislation that's being passed in throughout many states in the United States, even in New Brunswick, where, where basically it is illegal to be trans and non-binary, where they are criminalizing providing care and services to people like me and for the sole purpose of eliminating us from society. The game plan you know, is to remove us from society. That's what the game plan is, period. Well, I, I guess if they're going to remove you, they're not going to remove me because maybe they don't like the way I comb my hair or the color of my shoes or the or the you know the the, the way I, I conduct myself or you know like at what point do we stop having the right to judge? And I think it stops a long time ago. What makes everybody well, think sure. that they can judge today? Well, sure it does, but you know that that really minimizes the impact. You know, somebody whatever clothes they wear, how you touch your hair is quite different than somebody's gender identity. And, and yeah, yeah, I I, I, I get it. I, mean? I get it. Right. Yeah, I get it. But so, what my, my point my point was is my point is at, at what point do people start getting uncomfortable with what doesn't look and act like them? 
is my point, right? Uh, without right. getting too deep into the whole discussion. So, you know, it, it, it starts with the communities that, that you're serving and the people that are, are trying to, 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 you know, get, come, you know, uh, be allowed to be who they are without any kind of, of, of negative pushback. Um, it, you know, I, I think it's a slippery slope because it doesn't stop there. And, um, you know, it, it, then it starts focusing on single mothers and everyone who makes a certain decision or judgment that other people don't like. I, I got to tell you, oh, Marnie, sure. this is, this this is this is such a this is such an incredible uh, uh, incredible um, amount of work that you need to do that you're doing and I'm just so thankful that someone like you even exists that's out there and um, I want to do what I can to try to change and alter this this behavior because it's 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 discriminatory at any level right well it, it is Jonah and actually it's it's it can't be left for me to do it. It can't be left for trans and non-binary and queer people. It can't be left for the queer kids to do it. In fact, we need people like you. We need everybody else doing it so we don't have to because we are tired. We are, we are breaking and, and we are hurting. We need people like you to continue the conversation and stand up for us. And, and that's what we need. 